think, you know, the, the hardest thing is um, to get a customer to keep coming back to your store. And we've always found people are willing to try you once, but that second time is always hard. And if you can catch them. Franchisee Connect, episode nine. Franchisee Nation, I'm Michael Pullman and you're listening to Franchisee Connect. Get in touch with me on Twitter at Michael Pullman or on Facebook. Just search for Franchisee Connect and join our group. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire and you're listening to the podcast that helps retailers delegate, automate and ultimately liberate themselves from their business. Subscribe to get all the actions and insights at FranchiseeConnect.com. I know you're going to really dig this next guest, Franchisee Nation. He's got four stores in London, one of them franchised, and uh, I really want you to listen up because James has some fantastic advice for franchisees and for franchisors in the business. So have a listen. I know you're going to enjoy James's insights. Thank you for listening to Franchisee Connect. Welcome to Franchisee Connect. I'm here with James Breslau. James is a CEO and co-founder of Ned's Noodle Bar. He's got a couple of stores in London. James, tell me a bit about your business. Uh, Ned's Noodle Bar. Hi, good to see everybody or good to talk to everybody. Um, Ned's Noodle Bar started up in 2000 and we opened our first store just by the London Eye, which is the biggest tourist attraction in Europe. And then we followed by a second restaurant in Westbourne Grove in West London, which was mainly a delivery store doing uh, dining, takeout, noodle boxes. Then we opened a third store in Essex uh, in 2008, just outside London, about 35 miles inside a shopping hall. And last year in November, we opened up our first franchise uh, in Shoreditch, which is one of the um, biggest growing uh, groovy areas of London at the moment. It's a very cool area. I lived in London for a couple of years, as you know, James, and, and Shoreditch was uh, one of my favorite places. It's a, it's a very cool spot. So what's yeah, that? it's been really interesting. It's changing. Yeah, definitely. What's that journey been like going from uh, a couple of stores or three stores that a company owned and then opening up that first franchise? What, what sort of steps did you go through to get that happening? Um, we took it really slowly, to be honest with you. Uh, because we weren't um, doing business just overnight and we've been going already for 15 years, 14 years, we just decided to um, – change a lot of our operational systems so it was simpler for the franchisee one to operate and two hopefully to make more money um we looked at the way we bought our foods and the way we prepped our foods we looked at the way we hired people and we looked at the way we trained people we looked at how much we spent on wages and how we could reduce that and then last of all we looked at our menu and um, decided the easiest way, which would be most attractive for people to keep coming back to Ned's Noodle Bar. Once we'd done that, which took us about two years to simplify our systems, um, we advertised uh, globally. Uh, we had about 1,250 applicants in about a year and two months. Wow. And from that 1,250, we selected one candidate. Uh, that candidate was Cash Rich. He had a good understanding for business and what we wanted is a person who had no uh, experience in restaurants so we could teach him ourselves, give him good training and show him along the way. And his name was Addy. He opened up in Shoreditch. Uh, he had a difficult opening uh, back in November. I mean, things like he had no commercial gas facility and had to spend about £17,000 just putting in a new gas meter. 
um, digging up the roads, putting it was it was it was a really interesting experience. But he's up and running now. Um, I got some real winners to design the store. Uh, they're called Harrison's. They've designed some of the biggest uh, restaurants in London. So um, I just wanted to give him the best start he could, you know, probably give. And, and the best thing about our franchisee was. And most important thing in the restaurant business, especially in this country, is, is keeping your overheads down if you want to put money in your back pocket. So he's got a cheap rent. He's in the middle of Shoreditch for about £28,000 a year, which is unbelievable. So, yeah, he's got had a good start and he's broken even from day one. Oh, fantastic. That's a great story. So he's already he's already essentially making money. A lot of franchises take a year or 18 months to uh, to become profitable. So that's that's fantastic. Yeah, he's definitely doing quite well, to be honest with you. Yeah, so that support really shows through. So, how did you did you get involved in that uh, negotiation process to get that get get that rent really cheap, or how did, how did that happen? You know, uh, as well as choosing a franchisee, we look for about ten months for the right location for the franchisee. Obviously, I've been working in London restaurants for quite a long time since about 1993, so I knew a lot of agents. But I really just walked the streets myself and just had a look to see what was um, popular areas with out-of-date businesses. And I approached the businesses that were out-of-date and said, I gave them an inflated premium. I said, listen, if we were to offer you X amount, would you be willing and this one Greek guy, um, really lovely guy, ha- had an old cafe. He'd been there for 22 years. And it was just outdated. He wasn't making a lot of money. And I approached him and uh, got Ali to have a look at it. So we spent quite a bit of money on the premium. But going forward, the rent was already negotiated. It was already 28000 We knew it wouldn't go up anymore because it was already locked into a lease. So away we went. And ah, we sure. So you took to- over an existing lease. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Sure. Fantastic. <clears throat> so, what do the plans look like now? Are you going to scale massively? Are you going to bring on another ten franchisees, or just one at a time, or what does it look like? What it looks like now is we were approached last June by a company called Fransmart, and um, they are probably the biggest franchise consultants right now in America. And um, they have quite a. They have about 12, 14, 16 brands. They've been going for about 15 years and basically they just look after the whole brand. And he came over, uh, Dan Rowe was the president of Fransmart. He came over to Ned's Noodles last June and said he was interested to take Ned's Noodle global. Uh, first of all, just in England and uh, Ireland and then into Europe and then into the Far East, Middle East, and then hopefully into America, which we always thought was going to be our winner market. Um, it was a difficult contract. It was a difficult contract with Fransmart because um, we have to give them so much of the franchise fee, obviously. And then going forward, we have to give them part of the royalties. And we negotiated for about eight months with them and we got absolutely nowhere. So we signed with them in April um, and we're looking really forward to working with them. We just started marketing and they have an office in Germany. And hopefully if we can get maybe two more franchises opened in the next year we'll be on our way and then we'll be up to um six restaurants and then yeah let's see where we go from there slowly but surely we don't want to rush our program we really 
I think the secret behind good business is, or, or the reason to go into business for yourself, to be an entrepreneur, is to work around the right people, you know? So we're just trying to find the right people who we can work with. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's a recurring theme with uh, all the franchisees that I'm talking to. You, you need to find people who your business values, uh, who you can jive with. You have a conversation with them, you get a sense of their values, and, and you can have a chat and say, yeah, actually, I could do business with this person. And it all comes from the gut feel, doesn't it? Exactly. You know, you just got to go with people who you really enjoy sitting next to and shouting at, discussing at, praising with, um, finding new roots with. It's got to almost be a friend, you know, someone who you can build up a really great working relationship. And at the end of the day, it's your brand. You know, you've worked so hard on your brand for 15 years. You want someone to give their blood and soul to it. So, That's yeah, right. it's, it's a difficult process. But, yeah, it's worth choosing the right person, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. So, James, um, to get out of the store initially, so once you went from that first store to that second store, uh, you would have delegated a lot of the tasks, the day-to-day tasks in the store to others. Can you think of a specific example of, of one of the tasks that you've delegated that saved you the most time? I think within the restaurant business, um, I remember back in uh, April 2004, where we had found our second restaurant, and I was particularly looking for someone to overtake the management of the first restaurant, someone who I could completely rely on and train with. And in 2005, I had found uh, a great guy. He was a delivery driver with us to start off with. And I slowly brought him up over about two, three years to become a great manager. He started from the bottom and he just takes the pressure off the day-to-day dealings of the restaurant. So if people are late, if something's not working, if something hasn't turned up from a supplier, if there's a customer complaint, if there is um, something from health and safety, just a general day-to-day running, he can take care of, he has the knowledge, he has the understanding. And then it kind of releases me to concentrate on the second restaurant, hopefully find the right manager for the second restaurant. Ah, fantastic. So you're really invested in the people so they can look after the staff, the suppliers and the customers, that day-to-day stuff, and you can focus on strategy. That's right. I mean, Gary started with us about seven, seven and a half years ago. He was on four pounds an hour plus tips. And now he's on, you know, maybe 35,000 a year. He's doing unbelievably well. He looks after a force of about 28 people. And he's man management, and that's what you need. Yeah, yeah. And you've been able to bring him up, bring him up from uh, just a, a line person on the line, or being a delivery driver, and train him up in in your way. So you've been able to mould him into your processes. Is that right? Yeah, and I think behind the scenes, psych, psych, psychology wise, you know, train them on how to think, how to deal with people, how to look at life, what's good, what's bad, what's important, what's not. You know, the meaning of life doesn't mean just making another buck getting stressed, you know, it's as important what's happening outside work as it is inside work. So I work really with them on both sides of the business. You know, I work on the psychology behind restaurants, being a manager, being a person in charge of a multi-million store, uh, as well as just the day-to-day running of a restaurant, which is, as you well know, is can be um, quite laborious, uh, painstakingly hard, and uh, it takes many years to become good at your job. Yes, yeah, laborious and stressful, but it is. It's so much fun when uh, when you can just have a full restaurant. Everything's pumping, and you're serving those customers one after one after one after one. It's amazing. It's an amazing feeling. Being a franchisee, you know, coming into the business as a franchisee, unless you absolutely love the restaurant business, you know, I just would give one hundred percent. 
a positive approach to the business. And if you're not giving 100%, you're not 100% uh, enjoying it, it's a type of business industry that you mustn't go into. You know, you must find something else. But once you're in it and you're enjoying it and you're being successful at it, it's one of the most satisfying things you can do. It is. You're literally making people happy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. So, James, uh, just looking at your day-to-day tasks or, or even thinking back to when you're in the, the restaurants day-to-day, what's one task that you'd love to see automated in the restaurants and why is that? It's a difficult question. Um, I suppose what we've really been growing with is the understanding of social media. Um, I believe that's taken a bigger and bigger part of the day-to-day restaurant business. Obviously, Facebook is important, and obviously, um, Twitter is important. Um, you've got LinkedIn and Google+. Obviously, you've got Instagram taking pictures, and everyone likes to take a picture. And restaurants are such a great um, place to take pictures in as well, the movement, the color, the gloss, the food. But I find it so hard just to capture all those different components and make it really work and we do try quite hard i just think it is hard to be everywhere i just we have sent one of our employees on 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 a training course to get more involved with social media but it's something that almost you need a complete department for and when you're quite a small organization you know you just don't have the time i think there's not many other things that um I would run away from or, 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 or hide. The only other thing that I think is really important for franchisors and franchisees is just to get a great EPOS system as well. Something that is, is small and capable of taking orders very quickly. Something that's linked up to your computers. So if you're having online orders, they're coming onto your EPOS system. You can simply print them out. Um, something that gives you great reports something that understands your wage, your wage systems. We've just teamed up with a group called Ravel in California. They've just started doing their own thing in Britain. We're one of the first to be working with them. Yeah, iPad point of sale or any device point of sale. We've done some work with them as well. They're, they're, They're a pretty cool product, actually. Yeah, they are. They're really good. And we've worked with them. So, you know, we're, we're working with our online business with them, postcode anywhere, um, uh, caller ID. It's, it's, it's been a really interesting process. Wow. So you've got your systems linked up. You've got your, your, your customer information linked to your point of sale system linked to your phone system. Is that what I heard? That's correct. Yeah, everything's linked in now. So basically, whatever, however the order is coming onto our store, it will all go through the same system. So if we want to try and promote a week later through Facebook or Twitter or just through general email, we can just go straight into everybody who ordered last week by email and just give them an email, say two boxes for one, bang, here you go, come back. Oh, wow. You'd have to be one of the first quick service restaurant uh, brands out there who's linking up all the systems together because that's that's pretty unusual. I think, you know, the the hardest thing is um, to get a customer to keep coming back to your store. And we've always found people are willing to try you once, but that second time is always hard. And if you can catch them, put them on some sort of system and then some throw some marketing or promotional material at them, you're probably going to get them to come back the second time, especially for delivery, because on the delivery circuit, you've got the real big brands. You've obviously got Domino's, you've got Pizza Hut you got the big, big Chinese brands and Indian brands in central London. So you really have to try hard. So, so we've really spent time and effort and money to, to make sure our EPOS and our IT is up to date. 
for the simple reason is when the franchisees start coming on board, it helps them in their business, their ongoing business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. With those those systems are all linked up together, and you've, they've got all the systems in place. You mentioned that there's some numbers there. I mean, having all your systems linked together would produce a huge amount of data. When you've sifted through that, what have you found your most important numbers? Uh, what what numbers are you paying most attention to at the moment? Uh, very good question. Uh, the, the the most important numbers for us are. What we really concentrate is not wasting too many, uh, too much money on staff wages. So we're looking at how many um, sales we are doing per hour in each store, so we can um, manage the um, staff and, and and have a special level at each hour. So we're not putting too many people on the floor. This can save us thousands and thousands of pounds a year. That's very important to us. Yeah, the power of the most- So is that um, is, is that-, that your labour cost percentage KPI? Yeah, I think it's really important. You know, we're also happy just sitting there week in, week out, looking at our percentage saying, oh, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, that's great. And when you really crack down to it and really work hard, as well as the people who actually own the business work hard, you can get that down to 21, 22, 23. That's another 5% in your bottom line. That's a big chunk of big chunk of change when you add it up over a year. Absolutely, especially for a franchisee. I mean, that could be his royalty. Yep. Yeah, definitely. So they, they can bring their, their labor cost percentage from 29 down to 22. What, what sort of things do they have to do to do that? I think basically what you're looking at is when your chief sales are going through your um, store. So if your chief sales are going through from 12.30 to 1.30 to 2.30, you've got to know that after 2.30, you don't need three chefs anymore. You just got to cut down to one chef. Uh, when you've got your delivery boys running around delivering like crazy from 12 o'clock up to about um, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you drop from 2 down to 1. Um, when you've got two cashiers working full on from 12 till 2.30 and it drops down, you know, half to 50% of sales from 2 o'clock till 5 in the afternoon, drop it down to one cashier. Get a person off, you know. You've got your core of three people in a busy time to bring it up to six, five and a half, six. And then you're away. I think people are always um, not ready to cut back when it's not busy. And it's a very part, important part of the restaurant business. Yeah. So it's just paying attention to those sales per hour and making sure that you've got the staff numbers to match that. Yeah. And as long as you can give a good service at the same time, I'm not saying like cut back. So the service goes down and, you know, you've got so many deliveries going in and got customers ringing up and complaining where their food is. But I just think if you can really train your staff well, and you've got A-plus staff working for you. So even if you just got your spine working at one time, the, the whole product is just churning out beautifully at the same time as six people working for you. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. That's, uh, that's really powerful. So you mentioned that there was a, another couple of numbers that you pay attention to. What, what were they? Yeah, the second thing we also like to look at is what we're selling. I think um, a lot of people like to keep things on the menu that are just selling maybe six, eight, 10, 12 items a week. You just got to have big winners on your menu. Like we've just put our own homemade lemonade on. Obviously, we have bottles of Coke in glass and we have Fanta, Dr. Pepper. Um, we have great beer brands as well that do great. But we have this new lemonade that cost us about three, three and a half P a portion. And uh, we can sell it for £1.95. You know, we can sell up to 160 a week. Wow. And so you just got a lot of money in your bottom line. And I think... 
especially with franchisees, you know, it's always great having a bottle of Coke, you just open it. But if you've got those big batches of lemonade and you're just putting them in great seafood cups and with the straw and you've got your tourists coming in, it's just a better way of making money. So just get things on your menu that you can make better returns with and, and stop having expensive things on your menu that you're selling very few of. Hence, have menu meetings more often, look at your menu every three months and look at your menu, especially before the busy times come. Yep. So keep testing your menu and, and find those big winners and have those on the menu all the time. Absolutely. And that just comes out, that just comes from looking um, from what you're selling on a weekly basis. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So James, um, tell me about something that you're struggling with most at the moment. I think the whole of London is struggling with uh, finding staff. It is really, really difficult at the moment. Um, the delivery uh, business is changing right now. You're finding companies opening up who actually collect the food from you and go and deliver it. There's about three or four brands. It's getting big all over um, Europe. I think it's hard to find young English people and young Europeans who want to come into this country and, and just work hard as a delivery driver and, and, and work themselves up. We find it hard to, to find chefs. I think staffing is a real problem. And I'm actually myself, I'm working with the British Hospitality Association right now um, with a big conversation. And we are trying to make the restaurant and hospitality business exciting for youngsters to enter, exciting place to work at, good wages, good prospects, and not just with the big PLCs, but with the smaller independents as well. But there's a big problem with hiring right now in London. I think the other side of the coin is there's just been an explosion in this country. There's, you know, you have... I don't know how many thousands of Starbucks. I don't know how many hundreds of presser mangers and eats and wasabis, which is having an explosion in this country and the rest. And it's a great thing. And we're spoiled and it's never been so great. And, and I must say a lot of the businesses are doing great because they're great businesses, but you need employees to run the business. And unless you're sharp, unless you're on it, you don't find great employees. And it's very, very difficult at the moment. Right, so that's the biggest challenge is, is finding employees. Are they being gobbled up by the big PLCs or is it just that uh, there's less people interested in going into um, hospitality or, or quick service? I think, you know, <clears throat> quick service uh, and um, hospitality has never um, had the, the, the best of impressions in this country. I think the large public companies have maybe paid low wages um, never had great aspirations for younger people coming through and going places. Um, franchising is only just starting to get uh, 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 <clears throat> a bigger no-say in this country. And it's made it hard. You know, people w want money and it's an expensive place to live, London and surrounds. And I just think unless you're promising people a certain wage with exciting things to come, they're just not interested. They're that, really not that's what that project is all about, is, is making the industry exciting for them and showing them that there's, there's prospects. Absolutely. If you just look up the big conversation on the internet, uh, we've got a, a great thing happening at City Hall by the Thames on the 21st of September, and we're just appealing for 16 to 18-year-olds. Got some great people involved all over London just to basically advertise the market and promise jobs to young people. Fantastic. I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. So that's the big conversation.co.uk. That's the big
Um, it's actually, the, you'll find it, it's the British Hospitality Association, which is the main um, group that looks after the Hospitality Association in this. And if you just slash that with um, the big conversation or the big hospitality conversation, you'll pick it up, no problem. Awesome. We'll link to that in the show notes and we'll, we'll see if we can find it. That'd be fantastic. Appreciate that. Really for working hard for everyone. Awesome, James. Mate, I've got a doozy of a question for you now. I want you to think back and tell me about the story and tell me the story about the day you had your worst moment you've had in business and what did you learn from it? There's so many. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go with two. Every day you get the worst moment in business. I think for us, um, we uh, there's been a few for me, but one of my hardest days were... Uh, we, we had one very, very successful operation, Ned's Noodle Bar, and we opened up a second one, uh, which was a fairly successful delivery store in West London five years later. And then in 2008, when the recession was kicking in um, into this country, we'd spent about another 300000 from our cash flow to open up a great store outside London in a suburb called Basildon in Essex. And we needed about 7000 a week to break even. And we were doing about three and a half thousand a week. So we were about losing 12,000 pound cash a month. So in a year and a half, we had lost about 190,000 pounds. We were just about staying in business with the Avatory two stores supporting us. And then the bank manager phoned up to ask us, can we have back the whole of your overdraft tomorrow, which worked out to about 40,000 pounds. So we were actually going to just close the whole business and go out of business. I went to the bank. I said, listen, if you ask for the whole overdraft, £40,000 back the next day, we will go out of business. And so they asked us for 5000 a month over the next uh, eight months, which made £40,000. Just as that was happening, 2012, uh, the Olympics came on and we had our best summer ever. Oh. And the money started piling in. Basildon started to turn around. The recession got better. And then we just started, started turning it around and we threw the book at the bank. We found a new bank, which was great, and we turned it. So I think even at the point on the precipice of disaster and going out of business, if you're a good negotiator and you have a keen eye and you're willing to fight hand, tooth and nail for whatever you can, you can make it through anything. Ah, oh, that's such a good lesson, such a good takeaway. So you were, as you say, right at the precipice of disaster, but you went to the bank and you said, okay, let's work something out. Instead of just falling in a hole and closing up the business, you had that grit and that perseverance to stick with it. I think in business, you know, people really want to bully you, you know, whether it's a supplier for more money, um, whether it's a uh, employee for more money, whether the banks, they can be very bullish. You just have to stand your ground. And I think the more experience you get, the more willing you are to just like, you know what, this is what I want. You've got to go out and get it. End of. Don't take no for an answer. I love it. Don't take no for an answer. That's so good. So, James, what are you, out of all the opportunities that are out there at the moment, what are you most excited about for quick service? I think quick service is really changing, actually, in this country. I think there's some great brands um, in the burger in the pizza, in the sushi, in the noodles. <clears throat> I think what people are really looking for in quick service and what's really exciting is you get great service as well. You can come into a restaurant, you can be served in five minutes, 
You, you, you can get a great product within five minutes. You don't have to be sitting at a table. You don't have to be paying premium for a service charge. And I think the standard of food, the amount of money um, you're paying um, is getting better and better in this country. And I think that's exciting, not just for the employees, not just to, uh, for the uh, owners, not just for the franchisees, but for the consumers as well. And it's exciting, the food business right now. Um, it's a great time to get in the business. If you've got a great product, it's a good time to put your foot down and, and get it out there. Quick service is happening. And I think it's going to be around for a long time. Definitely. It's only getting better and better. It's really exciting to watch. We're right, we're right there at the beginning of a rising tide, which is so cool. Absolutely. And the products are just great. There's some great products, especially burgers in London. There's some great burger brands at the moment in London. It's really great to see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. James, where do you get your information? What what podcasts are you listening to or, or what books are you reading at the moment? The Bible. The Bible? <laughs> no, I'm joking. Praying every night. No, um, to be honest with you, I get a lot of information from Twitter. Um, I try and follow um, the restaurant associations from Australia, uh, restaurant Australia, uh, uh, restaurant associations in America. Um, I try and see what large companies are feeding out in America, in this country. There's some great news stories every morning, and I really do follow everything that I can do within the restaurant business and the hospitality business. Um, I get a little bit from... Uh, food service consultants. I do love CoverPoint. Uh, Jonathan Doughty, he's a fantastic man with loads of experience. He has a great, great um, blog, and I recommend anyone to follow him. Uh, that's CoverPoint, by the, by the way. Um, I do love Big Hospitality. Um, they send something out every morning. It's great to follow that, all the new openings. Um I don't try and take too much information on because I think you can just get information overload. I think have a quick look at a few things and then try and move on. Um, market studies, I try and keep up with. I try and see who's doing what, who's buying who. Um, there's Allegra, which does all the food service uh, research in this country, uh, which is great. Um, those are the main ones I follow, but, uh, I think you can overload and I think in this business, keep a clear head. Don't lose sight of what you're trying to do. Don't worry about too much of what your competition is trying to do. Um, you can, um, take it on board and know what your competition is doing, but at the end of the day, have faith in what you're doing and, and, and keep doing what you're doing. Ah, that's so good. So focus on what you're doing. Don't worry too much about the competition. Uh, keep an eye on the trends. Keep an eye on what the competition are doing, but but focus on your core values, what you do best. Absolutely. Absolutely. So good. So good. The next question I have for you was what was the number one piece of advice that you'd pass on to franchisees? But uh, James, I think you've covered it. That is awesome. Stick to your core values. Is there anything you want to add to that? Um, make sure you believe in the brand. Mm -hmm. Make sure you like the uh, owners of the brand, uh, make sure you like the food, the product um, that you're buying into and um, have a passion for what you're doing because even in the hard days, if you don't have a passion, you'll go out of business. It's all about the passion. It's all about the passion. It's so good. 
Awesome. Now, before franchisees start trading, they've got a lot of information that they, they have to take on. Is there one specific piece of advice that you'd give to franchisees before they start trading? Yes, I think the only only um, important piece of information I can give a franchise before they trade is you can never work hard enough. I think the harder you work, the more successful you'll be. And if you're frightened of working hard, um, you won't be successful. You can delegate, but you know I, I still do six shifts a week, and I I've been working in my business for fifteen years. Ah, awesome! Still there, still got the passion for it, still excited about it. Absolutely, just, just dedication. Whether you're an athlete, whether you're a restaurateur, whatever you are, it's dedication. Ah, such a such a perfect place to uh, to call a close to the interview, James. Look, I want to say thank you very much for for being on the podcast. And how can our uh, franchisee nation? How can they reach out to you? Um, they can reach out for me by uh, emailing me. I'm more than happy to take any emails. If you've got any questions, I'm more than happy to answer anything you want to hear. Um, if you are in London and you want to come along to the big conversation and learn more about um, the uh, jobs that we're offering throughout London, um, again, email me. If you want to drop down and have a word in one of my stores, more than happy to sit down with you for half an hour and have a chat. Oh, I am awesome. open to everyone. That's fantastic. And they can also reach you on Twitter. What, what's your handle on Twitter? Uh, Ned's Noodle Bar. Ned's Noodle Bar, of course. Yeah. Uh, Magic. I run Twitter accounts. So, yeah, if you want to follow me and you've got a message, please do. Please contact me. I'm more than happy to speak to you. Ah, perfect. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, James. It's an absolute pleasure, Michael, and it's good to catch up with you again. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Franchisee Connect podcast today. If you've got a suggestion for a guest who we should have on the show, that's somebody from retail who you admire and who could drop some knowledge bombs on you, let me know at franchiseeconnect.com. Just visit the contact page to get in touch. Also, let me know if there's anything anything special you'd like me to ask the guests too. Remember to visit franchiseeconnect.com for links to everything we chatted about today, as well as the action steps from every one of our podcast episodes that you can take right now to delegate, automate, and ultimately liberate yourselves from the business. Make coming to work a choice with franchiseeconnect.com.